Our passage today again comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, thank you, Mackenzie. This morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Romans. And so we come to final passage here and chapter 6. And as we begin together this morning, if you were here with us last week, then you may remember that kind of began uh, the sermon from last week with a question, with a, with a scenario. And the question of the, of the scenario was, was this. I asked you to think about the biggest sin struggle in your life right now. And so that was, the, that was kind of the scenario, the, the question. What's, what's the biggest sin struggle, something that keeps on kind of a, a sin pattern, a sin issue that kind of seeps rearing it, keeps rearing its ugly head in your life that you seek to wage war against, fight against, but kind of still struggle with in your life. So I asked you at the beginning of our time last week to, to think about what that might be. So for some, that might be anything from, from self-centeredness or selfishness or pride. Others, it might be anger, anger or bitterness or unforgiveness for Others, it might be lust or some other form of sexual immorality. For others, it might be worry or, or fear or anxiety or just fill in the blank for you. And whatever, whatever that sin struggle might be, might be for you. Again, write that down. Think about it in your mind and be thinking about that as we make our way through our passage this morning. Because like last week, if you remember, I asked you to, to consider what that sin issue, sin struggle is then I asked you to think about this scenario. I asked you to imagine then texting the Apostle Paul, so the author of the book of Romans here, the human author of the book of Romans, and asking him if you two can get together at a coffee shop or in his office so that you can share with him the sin struggle that you're wrestling with and seek his counsel, seek his input, seek his wisdom in regards to how to battle and fight against that sin struggle and how to gain, some, gain victory and to overcome that specific sin issue and sin struggle in your life. And so then if you remember last week, I asked you to, to think about that, that that's what this sermon from last week was all about. That, that last week's sermon was the Apostle Paul and you sitting in his office and him sharing with you, giving you counsel, sharing wisdom with you, helps with you in regards to how to battle against and gain victory over the specific sin struggle in your life. 
That was last week's sermon. Well, as most of you know, sin doesn't die easily. And so just because you meet one time with your mentor or the great apostle Paul doesn't mean that wham, all of a sudden, that your sin struggle is completely gone and never to be dealt with anymore. It's over. It's done. You can move on. Instead, many times, after the first meeting with maybe somebody who's discipling you or mentoring you, who's helping you to battle sin in your life, it requires a second meeting. It requires a follow-up meeting from the first meeting that you had. Well, that's what this sermon is going to be this morning. That as we look at verses 15 through 23, this is going to be meeting number two. It's going to be the follow-up meeting between you and me and Paul and him sharing with you and giving you wisdom and counsel in regards to how to overcome and how to battle against and how to find victory over that specific sin struggle and issue that you wrote down or jotted down or that, you, that came into your mind that I asked you about earlier. That this is Paul and what he would say to you if you were meeting with him and asked him how to overcome and gain victory over that specific sin struggle in your life. And so what we're going to see here is that Paul, what he's going to do if you're meeting with him is that he would share with you from this passage three specific truths that you need to remember as you fight against this specific sin struggle. Three specific truths that you need to remember as you fight against this specific sin struggle in your life. And, and again, I want to make this, the reason I, I kind of began this intro and this sermon with kind of that cheesy illustration, I know it's cheesy, you know it's cheesy, we can all admit that it's cheesy. But the reason that I began sermon this way, and the reason I began it this way from last week as well, is I want to make this like really practical. I want to make this really personal. Because I know, I mean, I know, trust me, that the sin that so many in this room are fighting against and dealing with and waging war against and who feel like you're losing and who feel like you're enslaved to it. And you try different things and you, you try this and you try this and you make this change and you try this, but it just, it's just, it's there. You might put away for a couple days, but on that third day it's there. You might put away for a week, but that second week that it's there. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I've, I've tried everything. And so I want this to be as practical and as personal as possible, that these are three specific truths that in the midst of temptation, that in the midst of sin just feeling inevitable, that you just have to give in to it because, because you've tried and tried and tried and, and nothing seems to work. You're never going to change. If that's you this morning, these are three practical, relevant truths that, that in the midst of temptation in your life, that I pray that you would remember and that God would use in your life and that God would use in your heart to help you to overcome temptation to sin in your life. So here, here's, the, here's the first truth. If you were meeting with Paul, that he would share with you when it comes to the specific sin struggle you're wrestling with. The first truth is this, and you can see these, this on your hand out there. He, he would tell you that grace does not give you a license to sin. That grace does not give you a license to sin. It's where Paul starts off there in verse 15 at the very beginning of our passage. Look at verse 15 with me. He begins by asking this question. He asks, what then? Are we to sin 
because we are not under law, but under grace. So the question that Paul asks here in verse 15 is prompted by something that he said in the previous verse in verse 14. So look at verse 14 there and what Paul says there in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so what in the world does that mean? What, what does it mean to not be under law, but to be under grace? Well, within the context here, we're going to see this more in the, in the chapters to come. But when Paul speaks about not being under law, he's referring to the fact that Christians are no, no longer under the, the Old Testament covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant, the, the law of Moses. And so that, that law was, was God's covenant with, with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And so now with the coming of Christ, his death and his resurrection, that law, the Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic law is no longer binding upon us as Christians anymore. So he says, we're no longer under law. Instead, he says, now we're under grace. Because of that then, that prompts this question that Paul asks there in verse 15. It's really the same question that we looked at last week in verse 1 of chapter 6. And the question is this, huh? So, if we're not under the law anymore, and if we're under grace now, and we're under this justification by faith message now, and if our righteousness now before God is not based upon our work, but our righteousness now is based on Jesus' work, then does that mean that I can just do whatever I want to now? Like, does that mean that I can sin all I want to now because God's going to forgive me? If my righteousness is not based upon my conduct, and instead if my righteousness is based upon Jesus, then does that give me a free license to live and do whatever I want to now? That's the question that's being asked here. That can I do whatever I want to because I'm under grace, and God will forgive me, and my righteousness is not based upon it? Do I have a free license to sin? Does grace give me a free license to sin? Well, look at the answer Paul gives there at the very end of verse 15. He says this very emphatically. He says, by no means. And again, in the original language, that's like very emphatic. That literally has the idea of absolutely not. Like no way, no way, no, by, by, by no means. That just because we're justified by faith, just because we're under grace, that doesn't give us a free pass then to just do whatever we want to. It doesn't give us permission to sin all we want because we know that we're going to be forgiven. And this is huge here because, listen, some of y'all here need to hear this. Like, like I, I really mean that. Like, you treat sin just really flippantly. You treat sin really casually. You, you act like it's, it's not really that big a deal. And so you, you, you think it, it really doesn't matter. If you click on that link and, and watch that on the internet, God's going to forgive me. It really doesn't matter if you lie at work or lie to a friend. It's just a little while. Like God will forgive you. It really doesn't matter if just fill in the blank for you. God will forgive you. Like, like if that's you, let's, let's be honest. Like if that's you this morning, 
then, then this is the first truth Paul wants you to know as you seek to wage war against that specific sin that I asked you about at the very beginning of the sermon this morning. The first truth he wants you to know is that grace isn't a license to sin. And this is huge. Like, as long as you think that grace is a license to sin and that you're free to sin because God's just going to forgive you, then the reality is if, if that's your mindset, you're never going to take sin seriously. You're always going to treat sin casually. You're always going to treat sin flippantly. You're never really going to seek to try and put sin to death because in your mind, it really doesn't matter if it's dead or not because you're under grace and God's going to forgive you. Like the first truth, the first step in truly, sincerely seeking to put to death sin in your life is to understand how serious it is and to understand that grace doesn't give you a license to sin. Which then begs this question, well, why not? Why, why doesn't grace give me a license to sin? Why, why can't I just do whatever I want to and sin all I want to if I'm under grace? Well, here, here's the reason. And it's found in this second truth, and you see this on your hand out, that Paul wants us to remember as we fight against sin in our lives. And the second truth is this. It's that we become the slave of whatever we obey, either sin or God. Let me say that again. We become the slave of whatever we obey, either sin or God. So what Paul goes on to say there in verse 16, look there with me. Here, here's the reason that he gives for why, we're not to, we're, for why we're not free to sin even if we're under grace. Here's the reason he gives. It's found in this rhetorical question that he asked there in verse 16. Look there with me. He asked this question. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So then what Paul's doing here is he's using this analogy of slavery to explain why we're not free to sin even if we're under grace. And so he, he uses this as an analogy. You see that really at the very beginning of verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What he means by that is that he's using a metaphor. He's using an everyday common analogy from a human experience that they would be familiar with in order to teach them a deeper spiritual truth or a deeper spiritual point. And so Paul's not here, he's not condoning slavery, he's not endorsing slavery, he's just using slavery, which they all would have been familiar with, as a metaphor, as an analogy, to make a point. And, and here's the point that he's trying to make here in verse 16. He's saying this. He's saying that just as a slave is the slave of the one he offers himself to, and obeys, so also we are the slaves of whatever we offer ourselves to and obey. That, that's the analogy, that's the metaphor that Paul is using here and making here. And so what that means then is this, if we then offer ourselves to sin and obey sin, then we're slaves of sin and sin is our master. But if we offer ourselves to God and obey God and live in obedience to God, then God is our master, and we, we are his, we are slaves of, of God. And so, so do you see this? Do you see then how 
This, verse 16 here, in this rhetorical question is Paul's answer to the question of, are we free to sin even if we're under grace? His answer is, you're a slave of whatever you obey. His answer is, you're a slave of whoever you obey. You're a slave of the one you obey. So then if you obey sin, because it's no big deal and God will forgive you anyway, then what you're doing is that you're showing who your real master is and you're showing who you're a slave to. You're, you're showing that you're really not a slave to God. You're really not a slave of God. God's really not your master. And instead, you're showing that sin is really your master. And that sin is really, you're really a slave of, of sin. And th this is huge. Again, this is, this is a huge truth. Put all this together, trying to get really practical here. When it comes to a truth we need to hear as we battle against sin and wage war against sin and seek to find victory over sin in our lives. Like the next time you're tempted by that specific sin that I asked about earlier, and in the midst of that temptation, you think, it's no big deal. I can't resist it anyway. There's no way I'm really going to change. Sin's inevitable, but I'm under grace. I'm forgiven either way. Might as well just do it. Might as well click on that link. Might as well cheat. Might as well lie. Might as well harbor jealousy and bitterness toward this person or that person. It's not, no, it's not any big deal. God's going to forgive me. In that moment, you need to realize the significance of what is happening. And you, you need to realize that you're revealing at that moment who you're a slave to and who your master really is. Because the reality is you're a slave of whoever you obey. You're a slave of whoever you present yourself to, whether that's God or whether that's sin. And Paul says that the consequence of that then, did you catch that? is death, which within this context, there's a reference to eternal death, like eternal judgment, eternal condemnation under the wrath of God forever. And so this then is why we're not just free to sin if we're under grace, because if we sin and like we continually make sin a common practice, then we reveal that we're a slave of sin and that sin is our master and will die for all of eternity. But because of that, then like, like it's, it's imperative that this is huge. Like it's so important, like sin, that we don't treat sin then flippantly or, or casually. Oh, I'll do that because I'm under grace. No, what we're doing in those times is that we're, we're underestimating the significance and seriousness of what we're doing when we're sinning. And we're minimizing the seriousness of sin in those times. And as a result, we're using grace as a license to sin. Oh, something more significant and serious is happening in those times than just than just a little, a little sin that God will forgive because we're under grace. Oh, in those times, we're, we're demonstrating by who we're obeying and what we're offering ourselves to 
who and what we're, we're a slave of and who our master ultimately is. Which then leads to the third and final truth, and we're going to spend a whole lot more time on this truth, so don't, don't be thinking we're getting out early this morning. The third and final truth then is, is this. Again, as we wage war against that specific sin issue in your life, this third and final truth to remember. It's to remember that we've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. We've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. So what Paul goes on to say there in verse 17, look there with me, he says this. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. And so then do you see what Paul is doing here, especially with this word, but, that he begins verse 17 with. What he's doing here is he's reminding these Christians in Rome that he's writing to, and he's reminding us who we once were before our conversion and before our faith in Christ and who we are now. Do you see that? And he's going to do this from verse 17 all the way down to verse 23. And so he's saying that we once were slaves of sin. So sin was our master. We were enslaved to sin. We were we were under the power and the reign and the, the rule of sin in our lives. Like sin controlled us. And so think about that. It, it controlled our lips and what we said, said. It controlled our eyes and what we watched. It controlled our ears and what we heard. It controlled our hearts and what we desired and what our affections were. It controlled our hands and our feet, feet and, what, and what we did. Like sin was our master. It ruled and reigned and controlled everything about us. We were enslaved to sin. But then in verse 17, he, he starts with the word but, meaning that's not who we are anymore. Instead, in verse 18, he says we've been set free from sin, meaning we're no longer a slave to sin. Sin's no longer our master. It no longer controls us. We're no longer it's under its sway and reign and rule in our lives. Instead, now we have a new master. Now we've, we've been set free from being a slave of sin, and now we've become a slave, Paul says, of, of righteousness, meaning, meaning now we're, our allegiance is righteousness. Now we're devoted to righteousness and to serve righteousness and obey righteousness, not to serve and give our allegiance to our old master, sin. So then again, this, I talked about this last week. That doesn't mean then that we don't sin anymore. It, it doesn't mean then that we no longer struggle with sin anymore. Like, that's definitely not the case. But what it does mean is this. It means we're no longer enslaved to sin anymore. We're no longer under the power and the control and the reign and the rule of sin anymore. It, it's no longer our master anymore that we have to obey, that we have to submit to, that we have to be devoted to. Instead, now we're free. And so we can resist it. We can fight against it. We can rebel against it. And we can serve a new master instead of our old master, sin. So then do you see, again, what Paul is doing here in verses 17 and 18. 
he's contrasting who we once were with who we are now. And he goes on to do the same exact thing in verses 20 through 23. In those verses, he continues to to make make this contrast between who we once were, slaves of sin, and who we are now, slaves of God, slaves of righteousness. And so that's why in verse 20, look there with me. Paul says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard, in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. So that again, this verses 20 and 21 there, this is who we were. We were slaves of sin. And since we were slaves of sin, Paul says we were free in regards to righteousness. What he means by that is we weren't slaves of righteousness then. We weren't devoted to righteousness then. Instead, we were devoted to and slaves of sin. And in verse 21, then Paul describes the the fruit then that is produced from being a slave of sin. And do you know what the fruit is? That's produced from being a slave of sin? He says it's shame. Anybody, anybody ever felt that? Anybody look back on who you once were and how you used to live? And you're ashamed of it? You can't believe it? You don't like to talk about it? So you're ashamed of it? Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. It's the fruit that comes from living and being a slave of sin. You're filled with shame because you do things and say things and live in such a way that you look back on now on this side of it and you're, you're, you're ashamed. And he says the end result of that then, a slave of sin doing shameful acts, And the end result of that, the consequence, the ultimate outcome of that, do you see what Paul says in verse 21? It's death. Again, there it is again. Meaning eternal death. Just under the just judgment and condemnation of God, like forever. But here's the kicker in all this. That's not who we are. This is all past tense. He's saying, this is who we once were. But now, look at who we are now. Look at verse 22. Starts with the word but again. But now. So again, 20, 21. That's who you once were. 22 and 23. But now, this is who you are. But now, 22, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, there it is again, you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Why? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you see the contrast that Paul's making here? We were, we were once slaves of sin, bearing the fruit of shameful deeds and deserving of eternal death. That's what we once were. That's past who we were. But now we've been set free from that and our slavery to sin and we become slaves of God And since he's our master now, and the one who reigns and rules over us now and controls us now, then as a result, our lives look different. 
And we bear different fruit now. We bear the fruit of sanctification. We bear the fruit of righteousness. Meaning we bear the fruit of being more and more free from sin and like Christ in our everyday lives. And the end result of that then isn't eternal death. Instead, the end result of that then is eternal life. So this is whole, Paul's whole point. Verses 17 through 23. He's contrasting. Here's who you once were, slaves of sin, deserving of death. But now this is who you are now. You've been set free from that. Now you're a slave of God, a slave of righteousness. And have been given the free gift of eternal life. So in the rest of our time together, here's what I want us to do. I want us to think through the practical implication of that last truth that's on your hand out there. Just to think through, just getting really practical here, the practical implications of everything that Paul just talked about in verses 17 through 23 here. In other words, I'll set the stage like this. If that's true, if that third point on your handout is true, if, if this is who we once were, and if this is who we are now, like if, if that's true, if we're no longer slaves of sin, we've been set free from sin, if we're now slaves of God and slaves of righteousness, if, if, that's, if that's true, then how should the reality of, of, those, of that truth then impact how we fight against sin today? How should the reality of that truth, what are the implications of that truth have on how we fight sin in, in our lives in our lives today? Well, here are four practical implications of this truth on our lives today, particularly as it relates to how we fight against that specific sin that you wrote down um, at the very beginning of the sermon this morning. The first implication is this, and no, these aren't on your handout. The first implication is this. If we're no longer slaves of sin, but are, but are now slaves of God, implication number one is this. You don't have to sin. Like, hear that. Please hear that. You don't have to sin. You don't have to. And I know some of you desperately need to hear that because you feel like you have to. You feel like there's no other choice. You feel like the temptation is so strong, you you can't say no. And it's always going to be that way, and you're never going to change. The reality is something has changed. You're not a slave of sin anymore. You're not under the control of sin anymore and the power of sin anymore. And now you're a slave of God. So something has changed. And because it's changed, you don't have to sin. You're not enslaved to it anymore. And this is huge. Like, again, just getting really practical. Like, in those moments where that urge or that sway or that temptation just feels so strong that there's nothing you can do about it, like there's no way out, then in those moments, you you like need to tell, I mean like literally if you need to, you need to tell your sin, I'm not your slave anymore. You don't own me anymore. I don't belong to you anymore. You're not my master anymore. So I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I don't have to because I'm not enslaved to you. You're not my master anymore. I belong to somebody else. You don't have to sin. 
And in those moments, you have to, you must remember that. Implication number two is, is this. If we're no longer slaves of sin, but are now slaves of God, then your sin doesn't define you anymore. Then your sin doesn't define you anymore. This is huge. Another way to say this is your sin isn't your identity anymore. Again, this is so important because we live like this, don't we? We live like we're defined by our sin. We live like our identity, our sin is our identity. That's, that's the truth of things in the past that we've done. And you look at, at things that you've done in, their, in your past and you still carry on that shame and, and that guilt. That sin doesn't define you anymore. You're, you're not a slave. You, that's not who you are anymore. You're a slave of God. You're a slave of righteousness in you now. And so that, that sin that, that you did back then or even the sin that you struggle with now, that's not who you are. That's not your identity. That doesn't define you, doesn't define you anymore. Like an, an example of this, and I caught, sense of, not sure if I need to go here, but we're, we're going to go here. But an example is, of this is for, for many of those who may struggle, like with same-sex attraction, and who maybe even have homosexual sin in, in their past, like don't ever call it, if you're a regenerate believer now, and if you've been born again now, don't ever refer to yourself as a gay Christian, because you're not. Like that is not who you are. Like that specific temptation, that specific sin struggle is not your identity. That doesn't define you anymore. And the same is true for me. Like sins that I struggle with are like insecurity and fear and anxiety and worry and things of that nature. Like the moment that I begin to allow those things to define me, guess how I'm going to live? I'm going to live as if I'm worried I'm going to worry a lot. I'm going to be afraid a lot. I'm going to be anxious a lot. I'm going to be really insecure. Why? Because that's who I think I am. That's not who I am. I died to those things. Those, I was enslaved to those things when I lived as a slave of sin and that when sin ruled and reigned over me. But that's who I once was. But not anymore. Now I'm a slave of God. Like, can you imagine a slave being set free from his former master, but still carrying that former, former master's name, or still finding his identity in the master that he used to have, that he's been freed from. His identity isn't bound by the master that he used to have. His master is bound now by the master that he has now. And the same is true for us. 
that no matter what your sin issue or sin struggle is, remember this, if you're a slave of God, your sin struggle doesn't ultimately define you. That is not who you are. So then leads to implication number three. If we're no longer slaves of sin, but are now slaves of God, then we are to live like who we are. We are to live like who we are. It's what Paul tells us to do in this passage. Again, all throughout this passage, he's making this contrast. Here's who we once were, and here's who we are now. But in the middle of all this, these, this contrast that he's making all throughout this passage, he gives one command, just one little command here. Everything else are, are just indicatives. They're just statements of fact, statements of, that are true of who we were and who we are now. But in the midst of all this, who we were and who we are now, he gives us one exhortation and one command. And that one exhortation, that one command is, is found in the middle of verse 19. Look there with me. I skipped over it earlier on purpose. But here's the, here's the one command and the one exhortation that he gives. He says, for just as, in the middle of verse 19, he says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, here's the command. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So then do you, do you see what Paul is doing here? He, he's been saying, again, this is who you were, but this is who you are now. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a slave of God and a slave of righteousness. And then we get to verse 19 here, and Paul basically says now, live like you are. Act like who you are. Be who you are. That's the point of verse 19 here. You're not a slave of sin anymore, so don't live like it. You're a slave of God now, so now live like it. You're not a slave of sin anymore, so don't live as a slave to impurity and lawlessness. You're a slave of God now, in righteousness now, so present yourself and your members as a slave to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Why? Because that's who you are. And again, you're like, man, this sounds familiar. This sounds like the sermon we did last week. Yeah, it's the sermon we did last week. Like sometimes you have a follow-up meeting with somebody after you meet with them the first time, and in that follow-up meeting they tell you the same exact thing that they told you the first time. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. Why? Because this is one of the main ways that we battle against sin and gain victory over sin. And it's the same truth we saw last week. Like, it's that mind shift that has to occur when we think about having victory over sin. That when we're fighting sin, we have to realize that we're not fighting sin in order to become something we're not. Instead, we're fighting sin in order to become something that we already are. And because of that, then the next time that you're tempted to sin, then the most important thing you can do is this. And this has been huge for me because this is me preaching to myself. This is the number one thing I did all week this past week was, was what I'm about to tell you now and what Paul's telling us. This is the number one thing I did all week long, like all the time all week long. They just helped me to live in victory 
over specific sin issues in my life. It's this truth. It's that when you're tempted and that temptation is strong, you feel like there's no way to resist it. It's simply to remind yourself of this. And this is what helped me all week. It's to remind yourself, looking at that sin and say, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. It's to say, it's just to say that. It's not who I am. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not controlled by sin. I'm not under the power and the reign and the rule of sin anymore. That's not who I am. So if it's lust, I'm not a slave to lust anymore. I'm not your slave. I don't have to obey you. It's not who I am. I don't listen to you anymore. I don't serve you anymore. I don't follow you anymore. That's, that's not who I am. If, it, if it's lying, I'm not a slave to, to lying anymore. If it's greed, I'm not a slave to greed anymore. If it's anger or people-pleasing or pride or whatever, I'm not, that's, that's not who I am. I'm not your slave anymore. I don't listen to you anymore. I don't, you don't have my, I'm not devoted to you anymore. It's not who I am. And so then you live like who you are. This is huge. This is why all throughout Romans and really all of Paul's letters, he gives the indicative first and then he gives the imperative. So we're going back to English class, like sixth grade, right? The indicative, just statements of truth, statements of fact, just a statement of fact, statement of truth. You're not a slave of sin. You're a slave of God. And then after he gives the indicative, then he gives the imperative. The imperative is the command, the exhortation. So the indicative, the imperatives flow out of the indicative. The indicative, here's who you are. The imperative, so do this. In other words, act like who you are. Be who you are. That's the number one way to battle and fight against sin in our lives. It's to remember who you are. It's to be who you are, act like who you are, live like who you are. This then leads to this last and final implication, which is this. It's that we can't change ourselves, but only Jesus can. We, we can't change ourselves, only Jesus can. All throughout here, Paul's making this contrast, right? This, this supernatural, miraculous change that's occurred. We once were slaves of sin, and now we're slaves of God. And here's what he wants us to know. You can't make that happen. No matter how hard you try, you can't make yourself a slave of God. You can't set yourself free from the enslavement to sin and make yourself a slave of God. You don't have the power to do that. You're you're unable to do that. That's something that was done for you. That's something that was done to you. You're simply supposed to live like you are now, who you are now. Instead, the only way that this change can occur, it's not by your own power, it's not by your own effort, 
Instead, the only way that you can go from being a slave of sin to a slave of God, the only way that you can be set free from sin and become a slave of God is through Jesus. And that's what, that's what Paul's getting at. Look at verse 23. He says, for the wages, here's how he, verse 23 is kind of like the summary statement for everything that he's been saying here. But he says, for the wages of sin is death. Meaning that's what we earn because we're a slave of sin. We earn death, eternal judgment, eternal wrath, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. But look at the very last few words there. It says, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That that change occurs from being a slave of sin and becoming a slave of God. That change occurs in Christ Jesus our Lord. That Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. And he died on the cross and through his death on the cross, he took the judgment that we deserve for all the sins that we've ever committed, that we ever have or will ever commit. Jesus took the punishment and judgment for those as our substitute in our place so that all those who turn from themselves and tr turn to Christ, trusting and relying upon his substitutionary death on the cross as the one and only way that they can be rescued from God's judgment that they deserve for their sins, that they will be rescued from the judgment of eternal death that, and the wages that they've earned for themselves because of, their, because of their sin. And as we saw last week, that those who trust in Christ that way, then are baptized into Christ, united with Christ, and therefore our old body of sin died as well. Meaning we were set free from our enslavement to sin. And we were made alive and made alive to a new master. But here's the kicker in all this. You didn't do that. I didn't do that. Jesus did that for us. All this is true for those who are united with him. That those who are united with him have the free gift. It's not earned. It's not a wage. Instead, it's a free gift of eternal life. Because through Christ, we become slaves of God and have a new master, and have a new Lord, and have a new owner that we give our new allegiance to. And so then if you were sitting with Paul in a coffee shop or in his office, and you say, hey, this is my sin issue, this is my sin struggle, then these are the three truths he would want you to know in that second follow-up meeting with him. That grace is not a license to sin, that we are slaves of the one that we obey, either sin, either sin or God. But the reality is we've been set free from sin and made slaves and become slaves of righteousness. And because of that thing, you don't have to sin. You're not defined by your sin anymore. Instead, you need to simply be who you are and live who, as if you are who you are. And you need to realize that the only way that any of this has occurred in your life is not because you're so cool and amazing and awesome and you're able to get, get free from the slavery that you were in, but instead the only way and reason that this is possible is because of Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrection. And through faith, you've been united to him. And so what happened to him has happened to you. And so you died to your sin 
and you were raised to a new life and given a new master that now you give your new allegiance to. I pray that we live out of that identity, not by our old identity of who we once were, but we would live now in light of who we are now in Christ as slaves of God, slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification and ultimately resulting in eternal life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this word that you've given to us. And God, I pray right now just for specific people in our, in our sitting here right now that are struggling in sin. Maybe even this morning just completely blew it. Completely fell headlong into whatever that sin issue was. Maybe as even in the car on, the, on their way here and whatever that might look like. Or maybe as last night, this past week, maybe people come in here just, just burdened with guilt and shame for the things they've done, for the thoughts they've had, for the desires in their hearts, for the things they've watched, for the things they've, the pleasures they've indulged in. Or maybe there are people here that are just completely numb to it. Doesn't bother them anymore. Their, their conscience is, is hard. It's not soft anymore. God, I pray either way that you would take the truths and the realities of your word and you would work them deep into each of our minds and each of our hearts and that we would live, leave here this morning not leaving here as slaves of sin, not leaving here as if we've, we've given up and we have to sin or that we, we're defined by our sin, Lord, but we would leave here being defined by who we are in Christ, that we would leave here defined by our new identity in Christ as slaves of God, and that we would leave here giving you our allegiance and living lives um, of faithfulness, of purity, of holiness, and righteousness. Not to make us something that we're not, but simply to be something that you've already made us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.